0: You ready for the word today? Get your Bibles out, sermon notes out. We're talking about core strength. Get your Bibles and let's open them to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Why are you guys screaming about the Bible? We just believe that we should be excited about the word of God. I, I encourage you, every time you go to read the Bible, you need to be expecting God to speak to you. Now, not every time you open up the Bible is it going to be earth-moving revelation to you. But not every meal that I eat is the best meal I've ever had, but I keep eating because I know that that food is going to do my body good even if it's not the most tasty thing I've ever had. Not at my house. Don't try and get me in trouble. I'm talking about at other places. So I keep reading the Bible because even if that moment I was like, well, you know, that was, that was all right, I keep eating it because I know it's helping me. I know it's nourishing my spirit. So you keep reading the Bible. I just don't seem to be getting anything out. You keep eating. You keep eating every day. You're getting something out of it. So let's keep eating the Word of God. Let's keep digesting it. So let's open them up. Hebrews chapter 10. We've been talking about. Core strength, when our series Core Strength, building up our core, we, our core strength series is made up of 10 core values that we decided the things that we wanted to build a culture in our life on these 10 core values. The first one we talked about already is we want to be with Him. His presence means everything. The presence of God is the most important thing that we can desire. And I'm not talking about, remember in this series, this uh, message, it was not about just coming to church, but it was more than informational presence. It was relational presence. It's not, I'll come to church and you give me some information on what to do, and what not to do, and then I'll go out my door and I'll see you next Sunday. No, God's wanting more with you. He wants personal relationship with you. He wants to hang out with you every day. That's his presence. Number two, we talked about. We, we do life together. Relationships make us stronger. We talked about this last week and the power of connecting. When you become a believer, don't be an island. Get connected. If you're, not, if you're just visiting here or, or this isn't your church, you're watching online, you need to get connected into a local church. Connected in Dubai. We give you three ways that we believe you should get connected. Number one, we, need, we believe you we need to get connected in gatherings to attend. That's church services, Sundays and Wednesdays. They're valuable. Gatherings to attend are important. I believe if someone were to ask me, Chad, what would you contribute some of your success, if you call it success as a believer? Some of my success is to plain Jane being faithful for years. Just attending. just being faithful. The Bible says, "If you're planted in the house of the Lord, you'll flourish like a palm tree. So just attend. I'm talking about before I was a pastor, when I just was a regular church member, I just attended. There's the tender there's a value. Second way we want you to be connected, offer you, is gatherings to serve on our dream team. Hopefully, you saw our dream team in action all around, checking in your kids or out in the hallway or in the foyer, wherever it may be. Our dream team that's serving our ushers or our our media people that's making all the sound system work and all that. That's our dream team. That's just on services, and they serve other capacities because we believe in a culture of serving not just ourselves, but serving others. That's why we want you to attend one and serve one. You're like, well, two church services. Well, I believe that if God allows me to experience something, I want to serve so that someone else can experience what I just got to experience, the value of serving. Third one, last one, was this gatherings to belong. These are connect groups. We want you to get connected relationally so people know who you are, know who you're What's going on in your life? Help you with your blind spots and help you, help you with your mask and all of that. Just help our lives walk out. So we'll give those three ways. So now today, the next value, the third one, is we pull on the leash. Big faith, big risks for a big God. Are you strapped in? We pull on the leash. You're like, what do you mean pull on the leash? I'll explain that in just a minute. So hang on. We'll talk about it. Have you got Hebrews chapter 10? I'm going to start reading in verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence Which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God you may receive the promise, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to take a moment and talk about just a couple things. I've got really two different parts to this message. In the first part, I'm going to go fairly quickly, and this is why I gave you sermon notes, because I want you to do some homework on your own. One of the things I think is important is that when you read the Bible, we got to understand this about the Bible. It's what you're reading is in English, but the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in three different languages. The Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, the New Testament was written in the Greek and Aramaic language. So when you're reading your English Bible, your English Bible is someone who took the original and interpreted or translated it the best that they could into something that converted over to English. And not every Greek word had an English. It wasn't like word for word transfer. You had to to translate ideas. It's like if you have an interpreter in a foreign language when you speak in another country, when you speak and someone interprets for you or translates for you or interprets the word, interprets for you, They don't speak word for word like because not every word translates. They interpret ideas and concepts. Well, that's similar to what the Bible is, not everyone's word for word. So now the reason I'm telling you all that is because some people, when they read the Bible, we've got to be open that some of the English words may not be all that God's trying to tell us and what it is. Sometimes we'll read the Bible and we'll see an English word and we'll decide what that means and it may not be everything that God's wanting to show you. This is why you need to understand, for some of my friends that that, uh, embrace the King James Bible like it's the only version, like it's the real version. It's just an English translation of the original manuscript. I'm not hating on it. You may love the King James Bible. That's fine. But it is not the holy translation. It's just one of them. And so what we want to do is try and figure out what the Bible says. That's a big disclaimer To why we're going to talk about some things right here in the first part of of, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 35. He says, therefore do not cast away your confidence. The reason I went through all of that is because I want you to understand what some of these words mean. This part's going to go rather quickly because I want to get to the next part of the message. But I want you to understand what he's saying. Don't cast away your confidence. What does that mean? The word cast away is a word that describes something that we throw away something we don't have any value for it anymore, like trash. Don't cast away, don't throw away, or don't determine that something doesn't have any value. What is he saying? Don't determine that this is wasteful. Don't determine this is something you can throw away. Your confidence. Now, as soon as I read the word confidence, I don't know if it's the same for you, I read the word confidence, I think about a feeling. I feel confidence. But the problem is when you look it up, that's not what the word means at all. The word confidence there in the Greek is a combination of two words. The first word means all-encompassing, everything. Pas just means the totality of something. And then the second part of the word means to utter or to speak, to flow like water. So you put them together, and this word confidence, do not throw away or consider it wasteful. Your confidence is putting together, and it has this definition. It means to continually speak boldly and freely, unreservedness in speaking, to speak boldly in the midst of intimidating or troublesome circumstances. He's telling us don't consider it uh, not valuable to keep speaking boldly what God has told you to speak. It's important to understand that. It's not about a feeling. It's, feelings will come and go, but my words I can control. I can control if I'm going to speak boldly what God says. He says, don't consider it a waste of time, in other words, to keep speaking boldly what Jesus tells you to speak. Because it has great what? It has great reward. What's reward mean? That word reward just means what you get in return for something you do. It could be good or bad. You stay out past curfew, you get a reward. Your reward is that you're going to stay in past curfew for a long time. If you do something good, you get a reward. Reward just means you do something and this comes after. So now, by speaking what God says, there's going to be a reward for that, but it's going to come after, so keep doing it. And then he gives you the reason why in the next verse. He says, for you have need of, what's the word? Endurance in New King James. It's endurance. I think old is patience. The word endurance. Does anyone here not named Chad Everett need more patience in your life? He's saying, "For you have need of endurance. Need of endurance. You're like, well, I'm not a runner, so I don't need endurance. Well, let's see what the word endurance means. See the definition there. It's a Greek word, hupomone. I just like that word. The only reason I remember that, hupomone. And what it means is cheerful endurance. I just lost 70% of the congregation right there. (laughs) You have need of endurance. He's saying to us it means a constancy, the ability to sustain or maintain despite difficult circumstances. If there's anything we need in our life, we need some more endurance in our Christian walk because we're going to face some adversity. It's going to happen. We're going to face trials. We're not exempt from difficulties. He says you need some endurance. So in other words, you keep speaking what I told you to speak and don't quit. You have need of endurance. What does he say for the next part? For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you have done the will of God. It doesn't say after you tried the will of God. It said after you've done the will of God. I'm all for trying. But there's one thing try and there's one thing to do. If I tell my children, hey, I need you to go in and clean up your room. And, and I go back later and they didn't. And I say, hey, you didn't clean up your room. They say, Well, I tried. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. Go clean up your room. So there's something to try, but then he says, after you've done the will of God, then you'll receive the reward. We need some endurance. We need some constancy. See, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, you have it there in your sermon notes, is Philippians 128 in the amplified version. I love the scripture. You don't get this out of the uh, New King James Version or King James Version. It doesn't read it this way, but this is the blown-up version. of it. it says, and do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents or your adversaries. For such constancy and fearlessness is a clear sign to them of their destruction and a sure token and evidence to you of your salvation and your deliverance from God. I revolutionized my life that God said, Chad, if you will be constant and fearless, don't be frightened or intimidated by your opponents or adversaries for a moment in anything, then your constancy will be a clear sign to them. It's a clear sign to them that it's over. We can keep bugging this dude all day, but I'm telling you what, we're not gaining any traction with him. We might as well quit and move on to somebody else. Your constancy is a sign to them, and it's a testimony to me of my deliverance and salvation from God. We need some endurance in our life, and this is what God's building. This is the thing that he's bringing in our life. After we've done the word, after we've done the will of God, we'll receive the promise. What's the promise? I want to mention this quickly for people that think we'll just receive what we want. The promise isn't what I want. The word promise is a word that means what is pronounced upon or what is declared to. So when you go to the Bible, it's not about, well, Lord, I want this, and so you are obligated to do what I want. God is not obligated to do what I want. He's obligated to do what he promised. If I promised my kids that after the fast was over, We'll get ice cream. Then when they come up to me today and they say, Dad, let's go get ice cream. I'm not going to say, well, you selfish, greedy little bugger you. How dare you ask for ice cream? Who do you think you are? Do you deserve ice cream? You don't deserve a thing. Be thankful you've ever had it in your life. I'm not going to say that. I'm never going to be mad at someone reminding me what I promised them. And it's the same with God. God never gets mad at me reminding Him what He promised me. I'm not asking Him for what I want. I'm asking Him for what He promised, for what He pronounced over my life. If He said I can have it, then I want it. That's what He's saying here in this verse, obtain the promise. Now, go on to verse 37 for yet a little while. And He who is coming will come. Are we thankful that Jesus is returning someday? Is anybody glad that Jesus is going to come back to the earth? Amen. He was coming, will come, and he will not tarry. He won't be late. He will see his appointed time is what that means. But verse 38, until he comes, here are the instructions for me and you. Until he comes, here's where we jump in. All right, you ready? Strap on. We pull on the leash. Verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. This phrase is repeated five times in Scripture. The exact phrasing: "The just shall live by faith." Any time God's going to repeat a phrase five times in the Bible, it's important. The just shall live by faith. You can find it in Habakkuk 2:4, Romans 1:17, Galatians 2:20, Galatians 3:10, and right here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. The just shall live by faith. Who's the just? It's a great question. The we are. The word just means those who have a right relationship with God. If you call yourself a believer, you've been uh, born again and asked Jesus to come into your life, you are just. So it tells me now the just shall live by faith. What's the word live mean? Very important. The word live means to behave or conduct oneself in a manner that matches the context that it's used. You're like, what? Here's what I'm saying. When it says the just shall live by faith, he says you are to conduct yourself and behave yourself according to faith. It's not that wild, crazy religious people use faith. Anyone who calls themselves a believer is supposed to live, behave, and conduct themselves by faith. By faith. What's faith mean? Simply, Simply a word that means that I'm going to be persuaded and convinced not just in my head, but so much so that my actions will mirror what I say. That's faith. How do I know I'm in faith? It's when my actions back up what I say. Faith without works is dead. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. This is what he's talking about. The just shall live by faith. But look at the next part. But, he says but. That's an important conjunction there. But, notice what he's doing. The just shall live this way. Here's how you're supposed to live. But here's the opposite. Are you ready for the converse? you ready for the, the antithesis? you ready for the opposite? But we are not of those who draw, or sorry, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Again, when I just read the Bible, I just kind of read over some of these things and I thought we're not of those who draw back. If, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Okay, but I didn't know what the word "draws back" means. But here's what it means. I gave it to you there in your sermon notes. Hope you follow along. The word means to shrink back, to be timid, to give up, to stop doing something of positive value because of fear or adverse circumstances. To be timid, to shrink back, to give up, to stop doing something because you got some resistance or because you got some fear. We, he says here, but if anyone draws back, the just are supposed to live by faith. But if anyone draws back, if they shrink back and quit because they're timid or because they've had some tough circumstances and they pull back and draw back from what, he says, I will have no pleasure in them. It doesn't mean he's mad at you. He just said that word pleasure means what's preferable, what's good, what's suggested. So God is saying to us, my desire, my preference is for you to live by faith. And if you shrink back in fear and quit and don't embrace everything that I have for you, that is not what I want you to do. That's not how I want you to live. I don't want you to be a person who draws back. I want you to be a poor person who pulls on the leash. Have no pleasure in him. Because it says in verse 39, we are not of those. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not you. Say, we're not talking about you. I know you don't want to talk to your neighbor, but just bear with them. Come on. You're helping them receive from the word of God this morning. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. Mm. Those are some strong words. We are not of those who draw back to perdition. What does perdition mean? I just thought, here's what I thought that verse meant. We are not of those who go to hell. We are of those who go to heaven. And it could mean that on a very surface level, but I think there's more to it. There's more than heaven. No, that's not what I'm saying. I think there's in addition to it. God wants to expound it. So we are not of those who draw back. We're not of those who shrink back or timid or give up. And we're not drawn back to perdition. Here's what the word perdition means. Actions or inactions demonstrating complete waste for the value of something, to waste or ruin something. We're not of those who draw back to perdition. We're not of those who are timid and shrink back and waste or ruin something. Hang on because I'm going to put this together, and I pray that it will be powerful revelation for you. We're not those who shrink back or draw back to perdition. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That word believe, again, means to persuade, be persuaded and convinced so much that my my actions mirror what I believe. But believe to the saving of the soul. As soon as we read the word saving, immediately, English language, we start thinking forgiveness of sin. But I'm telling you there's more to that word than just forgiveness of sin. It's not even the Greek word sozo that we've used before to talk about wholeness. This is a totally different Greek word. And this word means to experience a state all the way. Around comes from a word peri, which means all-inclusive, experience state all the way around, which has been acquired. It involves acquisition, it involves possession, and involves preservation. So what I did is I took study and I took everything that I've put together and I gave an alternate translation for verse 39. Not because I'm better than Amplified or better than King James or better. This is just how I understood it. Let me see if it speaks to you as it spoke to me. Here's what verse 39 would say to me. We are not of those who through fear or timidity shrink back and stop going after something and ruin or waste what Jesus died to give us. But we are convinced and persuaded to take the actions necessary to take possession, experience, and preserve everything that Jesus acquired for us in this life and in eternity. That's everything. I, we are not of those who draw back. We're not of those who draw back, but we are of those who believe in possessing and acquiring and preserving everything that Jesus died to give. We don't want to leave anything on the table. We pull on the leash. We pull on the leash. This is what he's asking us. Are we people that'll be willing to pull on the leash? Now you say, What is what are you talking about? Pull on the leash. Pulling the leash is something, I I preached a message on it two years ago in December. And when I look back at that that message to refer to some things, I I ended up not using anything that I used in that series for this sermon because God spoke something totally different in this scripture to me. Not totally different, but he added to what we talked about before. What does it mean pulling the leash? This is a phrase that God gave me based on this little product right here, this expandable leash that I used for our dog Nala, may she rest in peace. She's with Jesus now. And so Nala loved to go on a walk. And would you come, my lovely assistant, and help me? Thank you. Appreciate you. Now, here's an experience on a walk with Nala was like this. Nala was an inside dog, little dog, little bitty thing. And Nala loved going on a walk. So as soon as you got the leash out, like I would do this. If I wanted her to go for a walk and I couldn't find her, I'd just go, Nala, Nala. And that right there, she'd come running early stages, towards the end. Anyway, we won't talk about that. So so she would come running, and she would run to the door and start scratching at the door as soon as you clip the leash on. She loved to go for a walk. And so as soon as the door would open, boom, here she goes. I didn't attach it to my neck because we've been brothers a long time. It's not my first day. So... <laughs> so she would go to the extent of the leash, and the whole walk was like this. She'd be running over here, getting other Dookie in other people's yards, going over here. She'd run this way, wherever she would go, pulling on the leash the whole time, going as far as I would let her go. I would have to, with that leash, I'd have to drag her out of that yard. Say, we don't want—they don't want your Dookie in their yard. Get out of their yard. I'd have to pull her out, but the whole walk for me was like that, just letting her pull. Thankfully, she wasn't a great Dane. But the Lord spoke to me somehow. I don't even know how it came about. He said, Chad, here's the alternative. Let's say now that I'm Nala, and would it be better, which is better for you, for her to go on a walk like that, or for her to sit still and you have to drag her kicking and screaming on a walk. Let me illustrate it for you. He said, which is going to be a more enjoyable walk for you? That, what I just expressed to you, get that picture in your mind. Or this, where now you go and I'm Nala. No, 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 no. Right? He said, which one of those is a more enjoyable experience? Thank you, sir. Man, you are incredible. He said, which one of those is a more enjoyable experience for you? And I said, well, the one where she's pulling me along. And he said, the same is true for me and you. I don't want you living your life, Chad, where I have to drag you all the time, kicking and screaming. I want you to pull on the leash with me. Because if you... In your attempt to obey God, because if you get ahead of God trying to obey him, he can shut a door to stop you. If you dookie in the wrong yard, he can pull you out of it. (laughs) He can pull you out. If you're seriously, intently trying to obey him. But if you get behind God because you won't obey him, he'll use somebody else. So the question God asked me, he said, Chad, are you going to live your life pulling on the leash or are you going to try and live your life me pulling on you? This is where the illustration came from and what, how I were using this core value of pulling on the leash. So we don't want to be of those who... Draw back. We're not of those who draw back and shrink back and are timid in what God's told us to be. But we're ones that are pulling on the leash and believing God can shut doors to stop us. He can redirect us. He can do whatever. But we're believing God with sincerity in our heart. We're not doing our own thing. We're not independent of God. We're not asking Him about or not, you know, refusing to ask Him, but we are pulling on the leash. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Three things it takes to pull on the leash: big faith. Big risks and a big God. Look at notice how big faith. This goes right into Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're gonna have to have big faith to pull on the leash. And the problem with big faith is that you can't see what you're believing for. Big faith says you're gonna have to have evidence. You're gonna have to have substance. You're gonna have have to have essence of something that you can't see, and your faith has got to be the thing that gives you the confidence, gives you the hope that what God says is actually real and true and can happen for you. It takes big faith. Big faith is willing to be foolish, willing to look foolish. Sometimes when we have big faith, say, okay, yeah, Chad, we want to be pulling the least people. We want to use big faith. Well, sometimes it looks foolish to use big faith. Abraham looked pretty foolish when he called himself father of many nations when he's 99 years old. Look pretty foolish, but big faith is not afraid of looking foolish if they've got a word from God. If God's spoken something to them, then you've got to call those things that be not as though they were. You got to step out big faith. Faith isn't logical or illogical, faith is theological. Faith is just the Bible. The just shall live by faith. We got to have big faith. We got to believe what God wants to do. Faith is taking the first step before God reveals the second step. Sometimes God tells us to do something. I don't know if this has happened to you. God tells us to do something, and we want to see steps three, four, five, and 6, 25, and 30 before we take step 1. Hey, Chad, I want you to step out and do this. Okay, sure, i would be glad to. How's this going to play out over the next five years? If you just show that to me, I'd be glad to take that step. We, we, get a, we get in that deal where we want everything to be painted in front of us, and God says, I just ask you to take a step. What will what, 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 what happen after? Take the step, and we'll deal with that. Take the step. That's faith, taking the step and letting God reveal the second one to you. But sometimes that step is a leap of faith. It's huge. It's a little bit risky. So this is why we have to be willing to have risks. Big faith, big risks. Are you willing to jump? Here's the problem. Risk has been defined, according to Webster, as a totally negative issue. This is why we fear risk. Because here's the definition, according to Webster. The possibility that something bad or unpleasant will happen. And so I come to you and I say, hey, you need to be willing to take risks. Who wants to do that? It's the possibility that something bad or unpleasant will happen. Well, I believe That the opposite is also true, and I call it the redeemed definition of risk. That the definition of risk should read like this, that it's the possibility that something awesome, fantastic, and supernatural will happen. If there's a possibility that something bad will happen, maybe, but there's also the possibility that something fantastic could happen. So am I going to believe God and take the risk Am I going to trust him for what he's going to do? This is what he's asking. We got to be pull on the leash people. We got to be willing to take risks. You got to take the jump. You got to take the leap. You got to go for it. If we want to experience supernatural in our lives, we got to be willing to do something beyond our natural ability. We got to be willing to do something that's beyond our ability to do it. We got to believe God for something that we can't do on our own. That's the only time we're going to experience supernatural. Sometimes we want to experience supernatural and never leave our safe zone. Amen. Got be willing to take risks. See, you, you can't steal second base if you still have your foot on first. Some people got their foot on first and say, I'm going to second. This, this year. This year, I'm going to second. You ever I played baseball? I don't know if you ever played baseball and you had one of these, one of these guys that's leading off, leading off, say this, say this is first base. They would lead off and... Pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. You know, I pitch. I just wanted to bean that dude right in the eyeball. I am just want to either steal the base or get on the base. But you just sit there. Hey, hey, hey. Well, sometimes we're like this that we keep saying, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But we never leave the bag. You're never going to, you're never going to steal second if you still have your foot on first. But people say, "Yeah, but I might get thrown out." Yeah, you might or you might be safe. You never know until you take off. Sometimes we just got to take off. But, but 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 what if I get thrown out? What if you're safe? You're never going to score standing on first base. You'll always be safe on first. But you'll never advance. I just like my safe area. Second seems a little treacherous. Third seems out of my imagination. Fourth is impossible. But I'm telling you, God wants you to score in life. So sometimes we got to steal. So that involves risk. we got to be willing to take the g- jump. We've got to go for it. Until, until the pain of staying the same becomes more unbearable than the pain of change, nothing will happen. Until the pain of staying the same becomes unbearable, becomes more unbearable than the pain of changing, nothing will change. We've got to be willing to go after Lord, I'm so sick and tired of being the same. This year, I'm going to take off and I'm going to risk it. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe what you promised me. I believe what you're going to do in my relationship. I believe what you're going to do in my business. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to start that business. I'm going to go ahead and do what you... I'm going to go ahead and start blogging. I'm going to go ahead and start writing. I'm going to go ahead. Whatever it is God's speaking to you, at some point you got to jump. Go for it! You got to make the leap. Got to make the leap. No one in history has ever changed the world playing it safe. Never play. Never, never change the world. If we focus on not making mistakes, we won't make a difference. There's sometimes it gets this thought in our head. Well, I, what if I screw up? Some people are so paralyzed by the fear of screwing up that they never do anything right. See, we can. We can do nothing wrong and still not do anything right. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, but you didn't do anything right either. So we can't be overwhelmed by our fear of making mistakes. we got to be willing to make some mistakes, take some risks. It's okay. God's not mad at us. Let me use another illustration with my kid where God taught me a great lesson. I was, I was teaching one of them. I can't remember what it was. It was probably, probably number four, the way my temperament was at the time. It probably was the fourth one. <laughs> So I was trying to teach, teach her, you get to that stage, number four, you're like, you want them to come out of the womb riding a bike or you want them to just ride, figure it out when they get 25 or so. So, so it's like, because you, you got to push them and run and you give them a shove and sure enough, they crash. And then you got to deal with those knee scrapes and those are the worst. And you got to spray peroxide on them and then you got to listen to them scream and it's traumatizing for you. So anyway, I was, I was teaching her how to ride. And so I was running and pushing, and we went through this deal, you know, like three times. She fell and getting frustrated. I'm like, come on, okay, stand up straight. Get your arms firm and and balance yourself. Come on, you can do it. The three before you did it, surely you can do it. Let's go. Just do what they did. (laughs) And you know, it's like the Lord spoke to me. He said, Chad, does she want to learn to ride the bike? I said, yeah. Do you want her to learn to ride the bike? I said, yeah. They said, so when she crashes, is she out of your will? No. That's right. He said, neither are you out of my will when you're trying to do what I've asked you to do and you crash. Some of you, just because you're crashing, think you've missed the mark completely and you're outside of what God wants to do in your life. If you're learning and you're practicing, you're trying, you're trying to hear the voice of God and you're going after it, you need to be encouraged this morning and get back up on that bike and you keep trying again. You keep going after it. You keep believing that God's going to use you. You're going to figure it out. You're going to get better at it. You just keep going because he's going to keep pushing all day if you'll keep getting back on the bike. He doesn't get tired like I do. He doesn't get frustrated and want to go in the house. He will push all day. Come on, boy. You can do it. You want to try again? You get back up there. Let's go. It's his desire. But you got to take a risk. You got to take a risk and be able to do it. It doesn't mean, because I, I hear this. It doesn't mean that we're not prayerful and thoughtful. Because I hear, maybe you've heard this before. Well, Chad, all this risk talk, you got, you got to use wisdom. You ever heard people say that? Here's what I think you need to understand. I hope I learn to understand this more and more. That there is no distinction between the word of God and the wisdom of God. If God told you to do it, there's no need to seek any other wisdom. God is wisdom. So if God said it, you got all the wisdom you need. Sometimes we get other wisdom and people will talk us right out of what God said. Sometimes we use wisdom as a safety blanket for our fear and unbelief. It's not that we want wisdom. Well, Chad, you just need to relax a little bit. You need to calm down use some wisdom. No, what you're really saying is I'm afraid and I don't want to do it. We need a word from God and that's all the wisdom we need. Get that word, pray. It's not risk, it's just doing whatever you want, when you want. It's praying and get direction from God. But once he's giving you that direction, pull on the leash and go for it. See what he shows you. Because, this is important, if we don't go for it at the the point of opportunity, you know this phrase, carpe diem, seize the day? Sometimes we will let opportunity pass us by and then we will blame God because we didn't take advantage of what he put in front of us. It's called, a phrase called opportunity cost. It's a business term, but I think it's important. It's relevant for you to use right here. The word opportunity cost means the gain that is not realized because an opportunity was not seen or seized. A gain wasn't realized. You didn't lose anything that you had, but you didn't gain what you could have. Sometimes when we don't take risks, it's not that we're going to lose a thing, but we won't gain anything either. Let me give you a real-life example. Anybody remember Blockbuster? For some of the young ones in the room or watching online, we used to have these stores. And these stores had shelves. and And these shelves had these big tapes, plastic tapes called VHS tapes. And you would travel to this store and, and you would have to go down the aisles and you'd try and pick out your movie that you wanted to watch and you could rent that movie and take it home with you for $3. But you had to have it back in 24 hours and you had to be kind and rewind. Some of you don't know nothing about rewinding. You never had to rewind a thing in your life. But you had to rewind that movie after you got done watching it. And, and so you go to pick out this movie, and this is what Blockbuster was. This was a place where you go and, and you rent movies. And, and in 2000, let me get the dates to make sure I've got it right. In 2004, Blockbuster, you remember them? They had 60,000 employees, 9,000 stores worldwide, and an annual revenue of $5.9 billion. Blockbuster. But high-speed Internet was only in 4% of homes back then, only 4% of homes. And so an opportunity came to Blockbuster. Remember, $5.9 billion in revenue. Billion with a B, that's a lot. An opportunity came to Blockbuster in 2000. They had an opportunity to purchase a small upstart DVD company, mail-order DVD company called Netflix. Has anybody ever heard of Netflix? They had an opportunity to buy this little upstart company who was mailing out DVDs to homes directly. Blockbuster was like, what is this nonsense? People want to come to our store. People love our store. There's no buildings. There's no structures. There's no signs. Just mailing it to people's houses. And nothing's ever gonna come of this. It's ridiculous. They could have bought Netflix for $50 million. That was three days' revenue for Blockbuster. Three days. Netflix today is worth $33 billion. And you can't find a Blockbuster anywhere. What happened? Opportunity cost. They didn't take the risk. And because they weren't willing to take the risk, they didn't get the reward. What reward are we missing out on because we simply won't risk it? We won't go for it. The opportunity of the lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. So when God puts something in front of me, if I don't jump for it, if I don't go for it, if I don't pull on the leash and say yes to the dream that God's put in my heart, I've only got myself to blame. That I may not lose anything in the process, but I may not gain everything that he has for me. Big risk. Lastly, big God. Big God. We've got to understand the only reason we can have big faith and take big risks is because we have a big God. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about him. Let me give you a couple examples. Because I want you to know that a God-sized dream will be beyond your ability, beyond your resources. If, a, if your dream in life doesn't scare you a little bit, it's probably too small. We need to believe God for things that if God doesn't show up, it is destined to fail. Those are the kind of things we need to lean into. But too many times we don't pull on the leash and we only believe God for things that are within our logic and reason. And God's saying, hey, I want you to dream Netflix future. I want you to dream about something that's bigger than yourself. But too many times we, we avoid situations where the odds are stacked against us. But when we avoid situations where the odds are stacked against us, we miss the opportunity for God to do something supernatural. Can I give you three names that you may remember? Gideon had an army of 32,000 people. God brought it down to 300 before he de- used brought, brought deliverance for them. Lazarus was in the dead for four, in the grave for four days. Like, Lord, couldn't you come earlier? The odds were stacked against him, but he still brought him back to life. The fiery furnace was heated seven times hotter for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego the odds were stacked against him. But even in that 7 times hotter, it gave God an opportunity to do something that no one could have ever dreamed possible. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not have any concept that this is how it's going to work out. They knew God could deliver them, but they didn't know how. But they took a risk. They took a risk and they pulled on the leash. This is a draw this is a value that I want to instill in our hearts. We are not of those who draw back through timidity and fear, but we pull on the leash. We're not of those who draw back and waste and ruin what Jesus died to give us, but we go for it. We take risks. We may miss it once in a while, but we're going to miss it with sincere heart that I'm pursuing what God has for me. Your Bible is filled with examples of people who pulled on the leash. They pulled on the leash, and this is our example of what we're supposed to do. Caleb. 80 years old plus, turns to Moses, says, give me my mountain. He pulled on the leash. Jairus, you know Jairus, he, he came and fell at Jesus' feet and told him, said, Jesus, will you come and heal my daughter? Jesus was not on the way to Jairus' house, but Jairus pulled on the leash and received what God had for him. The woman with the issue of blood, she pressed through the crowd. She pulled on the leash and touched Jesus' garment. Jesus didn't pick her out of the crowd. She picked him out. She pulled on the leash. Big faith, big risk. It was risky to be in public. But she did it. She did it. Peter stepped out of the boat, walked on water. I was riding the car yesterday and one of my daughters was, we were reading the Bible out loud, had it playing And she said, Dad, did Peter really walk on water, or is that just a story? I said, that's a great question. He really did. He really walked on water. She said, can people do that? Love the innocence of children. You know what an adult would say? No. Only in the Bible. But I'm telling you, with God, nothing's impossible I don't know what dream you have on the inside of you, but God's asking you, will you pull on it a little bit today? Will you pull on the leash? Will you pull on what God's doing in your life? See, David picked up stones and he ran to meet Goliath. You can't even find. If you read the story of David and Goliath, read it again and see if you find a time in that story where David stopped and prayed and asked God if he wanted him to kill Goliath. Read it. You will not find it. He pulled on the leash because Goliath was defying God directly by defying the armies of God. And so David said, well, who's going to pull on the leash and kill this guy? Who's going to do it? And every said, nobody volunteered, and finally David said, I'll do it. He pulled on the leash. So here's the crux of this value. We are not of those who draw back through timidity and fear But we're willing to take the risk and possess everything that God has for me. What's on the inside of you that needs to be pulled on? What is it today that God's wanting to use? What's a dream inside of you that's that's something bigger than what you can possibly fathom? Best case scenario, God, this would be nice. Best case scenario, God says, I'm able to do even exceeding above that. Ephesians 3.20. Whatever your best case scenario is today, whatever your best case scenario is, God says, that's even too low for me. I can do better than that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray with me. and I just ask you to bow your heads. If you're watching online or you're sitting here in the sanctuary, you're listening by CD, wherever you are, I want you to ask God this question right now. Ask him, Father... What are you speaking to me? What is the dream that you need me to pull on? What is the word that you've spoken into my life that I have drawn back from through being timid or fearful? God, show me the areas where I've thought small. Show me where I'm still standing on first and I haven't been willing to go it. I'm not asking you to be reckless. I'm not asking you to totally go against God. I'm asking you to prayerfully seek God. And out of that relationship, you keep pulling on the leash. If you get in the wrong yard, in sincerity, you're doing the best that you know how. You crashed even though you want to ride that bike. He says, get back up on it. I can close a door or I can drag you out of that. But it's a whole lot better for you to pull on the leash as you walk through life than it is for God to drag your unwilling self kicking and screaming. I would rather get ahead of God trying to obey him so that he can shut a door to stop me than for me not to obey God and he choose to use somebody else. I'm praying that God will stir up a dream today in your heart. Some of you need to rekindle something, and I'm praying the fan of the Holy Spirit will breathe on that fire. Something he wants to do in your life, something he wants to use you for, something he wants to do through you, to you, a business you're supposed to start, relationship you're supposed to reconnect with method you're supposed to use in, in how you're doing things. I don't know what it is. I'm going to try and pigeonhole it by naming a bunch of stuff because I want to give Holy Spirit liberty to speak whatever it may be. But I'm going to pray. And today I'm going to ask you to commit to God to pull on the leash. Big faith, big risks because of a big God. We are not of those who draw back and waste and ruin what Jesus died to give us, but we are those who are persuaded and convinced that we want to experience and preserve everything that Jesus acquired for us. We're pull on the leash type people. Some may not like it. Some may call you foolish. Some may make fun of you, but that's all right. If you get it out of the Word of God, then you don't apologize for it. You pursue Him with a genuine heart. You walk in love, and you let people figure it out for themselves. But let's pray, and you commit to being a puller on the leash today. Father, I just thank you for your presence, and Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and stir up dreams in this place. God, I pray in 2017 that this year, you will continue to draw us to a place of pulling on the leash. We will not be timid. We will not be fearful. But, God, we will be bold, and we will go after it. We will go after it, trusting you and believing you that the word that you've spoken to us is enough to step out by faith and just believe it's possible with you. So, God, I thank you for stirring our faith today. I pray for the power of change in the air, that we will be pullers. We will pull, God. We'll risk it, but we'll do it in faith. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Make that commitment to Him right where you are. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to start pulling. I'm going to start pulling. I'm going to start pulling.